I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1 and on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Love is Just Around the Corner. Monday, September 18th. Sydney might not think I'm so bad. She might actually think I'm different, and different could be good. Maybe she hates sports, too. Maybe she also hates changing into shorts for gym class. Maybe that's something we could talk about. Maybe Sydney can see that my eyes look sad. Maybe if I can make my eyes look sad enough, she'll come up to me and ask me, What's up? What's up? Sydney will say. Nothing I'll say. It's just this whole world. Wednesday, September 20. Maybe she thinks about me. Maybe she's thinking about me right now. Maybe she wonders about if I think about her, too. Maybe if I think about her hard enough, she'll feel it. If I concentrate hard enough, all day long, maybe she'll get this funny feeling, like there's somebody out there floating around hugging the air and pretending it's her. Thursday, September 21st. Yesterday, after dinner, I looked up Sydney's phone number in the phone book. Her father's name is Phil. In the phone book, my dad didn't put his first name, just an initial. Why do I need the whole world knowing my business? I'm not an egomaniac, my father says. But when I grow up, I'm going to want my whole name in there, just like Phil. I stare at the page in the phone book. Sydney's phone number, her address, Phil. I could call up and listen to how she says hello. I could listen to her saying hello while looking at her picture in the class album. And then just hang up. I wonder if she'd think it was me. The next day in school, I'd act the same as always, like nothing had ever happened. But I would know, and maybe she would know that I know, and together, we would both know. Friday, September 22nd. During lunchtime, I went into the classroom to take a look at Sydney's desk, to see what she doodled. The top of her desk was as clean and blank as the sky at night. There was a pencil and a fancy eraser in the shape of a flower. I picked up the flower and smelled it. You'll never forget that smell, I thought. Monday, September 25th. I couldn't stop thinking about Sydney all weekend. There's a song I kept listening to over and over where the chorus goes it's the way you walk it's the way you talk and I just can't go on without you and as I listened I could see her dancing I could see her so clearly all the moves she does the spins the look on her face this thing she does with her mouth when she gets really into the music where it gets all crooked then, when I see her in school, it's like I'm looking at a famous person 
someone I've seen a million times before on billboards, on commercials, on the sides of buses, and dancing in my mind. In class, I look at her so hard that I can see her on the inside of my eyelids, like when you close your eyes after staring at the sun. Wednesday, September 27th. Hallelujah! Sydney looked at me in class today. The teacher was talking about the cruelty of the fur trade, and I raised my hand to tell everybody about how when I was a kid, my grandfather used to be a furrier, and he was the nicest man I'd ever met. Sydney looked at me in this way that was like, oh yeah, I know what you mean. I know that I can come up with more things like that to say, to make her look at me that way, if she just gave me the chance. Thursday, September 28th. Sydney had fried chicken for lunch. Friday, September 29th. I should just go up to her and say something. Your hair reminds me of hay on fire, I could say. Your eyes hypnotize my soul. If I could just hold your hand for half of a second, it would make my entire life worth living. How long can this go on? Monday, October 2nd. We were all standing in line in front of the classroom waiting to get in, and I accidentally bumped into Sydney. She turned around and told me I was lame. You're lame, she said. Her eyes were like lasers. The way she said it, so matter-of-fact, it was like that was what my name really was, lame, and she was just letting me know. She didn't say it like she was mad or, or upset or anything. She said it like she was just telling somebody to change the channel or pass the ketchup. And then she turned around. I didn't know how to say it to her, and I still don't know exactly how to put it. But the thing that just cracks me up is that no matter what she could ever say to me, and no matter how much she can hate me, no matter what, no matter what, I can't change my heart. I know this must have been the way my grandfather felt about my grandmother when they were just teenagers and had only just met. Thursday, October 5th. If this was a movie, there would be a part where I was walking by the school late at night, and I'd see Sydney sitting on the steps all by herself, crying. I know I can help you, I'd say, and I'd take off my coat and drape it across her shoulders. She'd start to tell me what was wrong. But then she'd start to cry, and I would tell her that it was okay, that she didn't have to speak. And then I'd just look at her, look at her from up close with the saddest look on my face, like I was trying to suck all the pain from out of her. Just looking at someone, I'd say, and thinking nice thoughts about them can be the strongest thing in the world.
gonna think I'm crazy after I tell you this because my ex-girlfriend did think I'm crazy I talked to my mother deceased when I usually I talk to her when I want something when I wanted a job I talked to her and I got a job so I asked her to meet a girl <laughs> I did and I met one well, sometimes I see a sign. I can't explain a sign. That's only that I would know. There was some sign. It might be uh, a coin laying there or something, or this laying on the on the kitchen table or something, something like that. I told that to my ex-girlfriend. She went bananas. She's out screaming and yelling. You talk to your mother, but you don't talk or confide in me. I said, you dope, my mother's dead, you know that. Oh, she was really bad. That's, I mean, that's sick. I know, you know when you're in love, when you don't mind doing things for that person or taking care of them or, uh... I don't know, helping them out, maybe they had to paint the room or something, you don't mind doing that, but normally you would say no, taking them out, you know, even though you don't want to go there. My ex-girlfriend, she used to like to go to these, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, these professors talk about Prague, 15-something, and uh, birth to Christianity, you know, and I would be falling asleep with these professors. I mean, they were nice people, but they were boring. So I said, what am I doing here with all these old people here listening to this crap? <laughs> but I guess she ended it more than I did. She was definitely trying to change me. So that's why it didn't work too well. She didn't like the way I dressed, you know. This was after two years. In the beginning, it was okay the way I dress, the way I drive, the way I do this, the way I do that. Too many things, you know. The heck with it. I've been single for two and a half years. I wouldn't say I was the best husband. I mean, I was a good provider, and I brought home money all the time. But I used to go out and philander around and get drunk and this and that, so I wasn't the best. My wife was very good, but there was something missing. Marriages should be like a renewable contract like ball players have. Every ten years, you can renew it and... A new contract for every five years. I met a girl today. I sat down right next to her, just like I'm sitting next to you. And I made a date with her for Monday. Just like that. She said I made her day. And then I gave her my phone number. I said, in case I can't make her, I'm late, call me. 
So now that's that's a really sign. If she calls me between now and Monday, that's a real plus. Wouldn't you think so? I'll tell you Monday when I get to know her a little better. I was I was doing collection for my paper route, mm -hmm. and um, I don't know. I mean, I you know she opened the door. I wasn't expecting to see her. You know, she was. I guess I interrupted her breakfast. She had a Fruit Loop stuck on her cheek, which I found so adorable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was basically you know telling her hello. I'm here to collect for the paper, and she got really really mad. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she basically started yelling at me. You know, I'm interrupting her breakfast and this kind of thing. And it's funny because she was getting really really insulting. But the more anger she got, I kind of, for some reason, I can't explain it, there was just this, this attraction, you know, this instant kind of like opening of my heart, and I just kind of croaked out, would you like to have dinner with me? And she said yes. This doesn't sound very healthy, Howard. Well, I mean, you know, they say opposites attract, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we have absolutely nothing in common. Nothing. It's wonderful. I, you know, I, I, I find that every day is something new. Every day is something to discover basically about myself and how I'm doing it wrong. I mean, I must change and do things her way. That's, that sounds like a formula for disaster. Well, personally speaking, she's far from the first person that's told me that I'm doing everything wrong. So that's kind of just old hat for me. It's just a whole new refreshing take on it, which that's what I like. Like, not only am I doing everything wrong, but do this, and then she'll give me errands. So I get in a way to kind of work on myself while at the same time please her, you know? It's really great. I buy her ice cream. I get her DVDs. I clean her house. I clean her car. It's fantastic. She's 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 broadened my worldview. How so? She 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 got me to buy a jazzercise DVD. Well, I, look, I mean, you know, any any opportunity to do jazzercise, I think, is good. But it, this sounds this doesn't sound so great, Howard. You know, it's kind of like one of those things, like you know, does the ends justify the means? And you may say no. But when you think about all the bonuses, all the pluses that come out of this, you might want to reevaluate re all. Well, the what are some of the pluses? Well, you know, I'm getting in shape. Right. Well, I mean, that's good. I mean, you, you know, could do that I'm, on I'm your own initiative. More. I'm working more. I mean, like you know, like Louise has needs, you know, so mm -hmm. I've taken on a couple of extra jobs. Have you? Well, it's been kind of necessary, but it's been good for me. That doesn't seem like she's taking advantage of you. I like to think of it in such a way that she's helping me take advantage of myself. That's kind of how I like to see it, you know. I mean, how many you know men do you know that that can devote their lives, you know, in complete servitude to the woman they love? You know, I mean, like I'm like her Samson, she's my Delilah. Yeah, okay, Howard. First of all, I mean that that's not a very romantic tale. That's a that's a story of betrayal. Mm. And 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 I mean, don't don't you think there should be some reciprocity? Like it's fine for you to be doing things for her, but I mean, what does she do for you? See, see how you look at it. You know, I mean, like she does lots for me. Like. Like she gets me to to get out of the house and to do things and to shop and clean and to work, you know. Like Louise said, you are you know you are going to have to change to be with a woman like me, and I, I accepted that. But I guess you know she saw the temptations at home for me, you know, my toys and you know my video games and my Japanese movies and stuff. So she just basically took the initiative that I should have taken years ago, and she just threw it all out. But you like that stuff. But I guess I'm better without it, she says. Wait, what, 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 what's, what's that, what's that, what's that, what's that sound like? Oh, hang on. 
Hello? Uh, hang on a sec, dear. Hang on, sweetie. Hang on. John? Yeah. yeah hang on a sec. That, that well, was my cell. Well, yeah. you, you said when do you have a cell? Well, just for Louise to keep in touch. Uh, hang on. I don't, I don't want to keep her waiting. Hang okay. On Hello? Hi. Yeah, I was really worried. You were so upset. I, I got the car wax. I don't... I don't... Oh. Okay, I'll speak to you later. Okay. I love you. Hello? Hello? She hung up fast there. She missed it. Um, to serve her is to love her, you know. And I don't need for her to do anything for me. If I'm doing it, that should be enough for both of us. I have enough love and passion and work and energy for both of us, you know. And that's what's going to carry us through, Jonathan. I don't It rang, it rang once and a half. Okay. I know. Duck confit, truffles, ice cream, pistachios. Right. I got the car wax. I got it. Okay, okay. All right, she, she, she hung up. She's going to call back. She's very upset. She has to cool down. But I'm not too concerned. You know, the funny thing is that, um, you know, um, after she threw out all my socks... Mm-hmm. I was kind of concerned that maybe that there was something wrong, you know, with the way she kind of like dictates, you know, everything, you know, um, that has to do with my life, how I dress. But, you know, I got to say, you know, after all said and done, John, you know, maybe the next time you see me, you know, I'm going to recognize me. I'll be a new man. Why is that? Because I'm getting collagen implants on my lips. It's funny, like, I always thought I had, like, really nice kind of pillowy, bee-stung lips. Your lips are fine. Well, I, 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 that doesn't... It's nice to see you, but, you know, you're a man, and, you know, she's a woman, and... Well, you're, you're not actually going to do well, that. Well, you know, I'm thinking about it, you know. Hello? Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, no I was just talking to Jonathan. I will, I will, I will. I'm going to ask him. I will. Well, after... Sweetie. Uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Hang on. John? Yeah. I, I'm on the phone with Louise. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted me to ask you something. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if, um, basically, um, she was kind of looking for work, mm-hmm. and she's very interested in maybe doing some work at the CBC. Uh-huh. I don't know if there's anything open there. She does hair. Right, she did, what do you mean? She, she's a hairstylist. She's a hairstylist. Uh, well, I mean, I, wor- I work in radio, so yeah, there's not uh, there's not such a call for. It would be kind of like like you know in between shows, mm-hmm. like sh- oh, hang on, I am, I am, I am telling him. Okay, she's saying, okay, in between shows, she would come in maybe like while you were like working, and she'd mm-hmm. put like the sheet around your neck, and maybe like just style your hair. And- wait, 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 I'm sorry, st- like while I'm working. Well, kind of like what well, I can't. Well, I can't do it that way. You're on the telephone. I understand, sweetie. Okay. Okay, so she would work to your schedule, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, like all around, you know, whatever you're doing, not just for you, but anyone else, you know, at the CBC would be interested. It would save you time and money. Right, but, I mean, she would show up and she would, like, cut my hair, like, while I'm in the studio or something, or I'm sitting at my desk. Style, quaff, anything that was required. Uh, it seems like it would be kind of distracting and kind of unsanitary to have her cutting my hair it while I'm... Be distracting and unsanitary. I gotta. I will. John. I, okay, Louise wants me to hang hang up the phone now. 
Lydia by Heather O'Neill. Our sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Arthur, decided that Maureen and I should be separated, since I was always giving her the answers to test questions. After that, she made me sit next to a girl named Lydia. We always hung around after that. Lydia and her brothers all look alike. They have big noses just like Lydia. They're so skinny that their pants never stay up. My dad says that I shouldn't go over to her house because they all must have worms, which accounts for why they're so slim. But my dad doesn't realize that being skinny is a main attribute of beauty. The first time I went over to her house, Lydia tied her youngest brother to a fence with a rubber skipping rope. He hung there, weeping and yelling. I felt sorry for him and popped some peanuts into his mouth one by one. Lydia says I should kiss him if he gives me 25 cents. But when she pushes us together and tries to seal the deal, he says he's saving his quarter for candy, and I am secretly relieved to hear this. As soon as Lydia gets home, she stuffs a pillow under her shirt. She tells me that this is because she can't wait to be pregnant. Then she tells me that she likes to lie under her bed to make sure she won't freak out if she's ever buried alive. She takes me by the hand and tells me there's room enough under there for both of us. And so I follow her under the bed, her pregnant belly pushing against the bottom of the box spring. As we lie there, we hold hands and I try to imagine what kind of mom Lydia will make someday. Lydia once brought a razor blade to school, and she and some of the other girls all stood around taking turns shaving their legs. Lydia likes to burn candles and then chew the warm wax. She likes to put on lipstick just so she can lick it off. Lydia always wants me to burn her with the tip of a cigarette, but every time I get close, she jerks away screaming. Lydia is as elusive as a butterfly. Lydia and I always go to a second-hand store called Funky Junk. They sell baby clothes for $1 a bag, and Lydia always buys baby t-shirts that she wears as halter tops. When she turns 14, Lydia says she wants to be a teenage runaway. She makes me swear that I will run away to Hollywood Boulevard with her, and at night I lay in bed worrying about living on Hollywood Boulevard. Lydia stuffs her shirt with toilet paper, and the other day a wad fell out when she was on her way up to the pencil sharpener. She is upset with her mother because she won't buy her a proper bra to stuff. Lydia puts moisturizing cream on her face because she is nervous about looking bad when she gets older. She sits in class smearing it all over. She is doing her oral report on Jeffrey Dahmer. She did a report on him last year in fifth grade, too. She doesn't read very well. She read about his murders without any expression. She has a fantasy about being kidnapped by a serial killer and then having him fall hopelessly in love with her. Lydia says the Korean teenager who works at the corner store is the most beautiful man alive. 
His name is Jim, and Lydia saves up her money to buy candy from him. We never shop at that store in our family because the milk is often rotten. But Lydia says she imagines kissing Jim all the time. And she suggests I try and imagine kissing someone too. I close my eyes and try to remember a kiss I had given to my mother when I was still a baby. I was trying to get her attention and I pulled on her favorite beaded necklace that she had always worn since I was born. It had been given to her by someone more precious than me. She started to cry after I broke it. Then I had started to cry too. Then she kissed me and her kisses tasted like tears. That was a long time ago when I was a little child that people forgave. I was so small and I was kissed all the time. I haven't been kissed in so long I hardly even remember what it's like. Lydia would probably think I was way off track remembering these types of kisses anyway. When I open my eyes, Lydia is putting on layers and layers of lipstick. She is filling a blank notebook with her kisses. She tells me it's her memoir. Being an adult is just around the corner, sweetie, she says. You'd better start getting ready for it. She gives me a notebook just like hers to take home with me. But instead of putting kisses in it, I decide to fill it with writing, to put down everything that happens to me. This way, the words will be like breadcrumbs. When I need to get back to being a kid, I can just follow them home. Today, you heard Heather O'Neill reading her story, Lydia. Heather O'Neill's novel, Lullabies for Little Criminals, will be in bookstores at the end of October. You also heard on today's program Chris Burns, Zach Stevens, and Howard Chakowitz. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Wendy Doerr, Sarah Gilbert, and Carolyn Warren. Production help from Mira Burt-Wintonic. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.